As a kid in the late 80s and 90s, I grew up watching some of the most legendary surfers compete in their prime. One of them was Shane Dorian. Shane was part of a generation of surfers who became influential in the sport, and he was able to make a career out of surfing full-time. Now, after more than 30 years as a professional athlete, Shane has some wisdom to share. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living, an REI Co-op Studios production. Shane Dorian won his first surf contest when he was just 11 years old. At 21, he joined the World Surf League, which is like the NFL for surfing. He traveled the globe and competed with other athletes, some you might have heard of, guys like Kelly Slater and Rob Machado. He's won countless competitions over the years, as well as 11 WSL Big Wave Awards. Growing up in Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, Shane's relationship with ocean sports started when he was young. I want to dig into Kona because I think it's such a unique place. The contrast is really, the dark and the light there is really bold. I love it. It's my favorite Hawaiian island. So how did, how did growing up there, like how did you get into surfing? Because it's not known as like the best surfing place, but there are definitely waves. And when it's good, it's good. So where I was born and raised in Kona, the, the surf is normally pretty small. Um, it's not like the Hawaii you think about with like these massive waves on the North Shore. Where I live is still kind of small. So the long story is that my parents kind of took over a little restaurant that was right on the beach. And they named it after our last name, Dorian's. And it's, it was right on the beach. Uh, and the beach is called Magic Sands Beach. And it's like a little tiny white sand beach in Kona. They got the restaurant when I was three. And so I learned to swim learn to body surf, fish, dive, like surf, everything right around that age. So from like three to five, I started getting into like riding waves, body surfing, body boarding. And then when I was five, I started surfing and just kind of fell in love with it from there. Who taught you to surf? Um, one of my dad's chefs. How interesting. Yeah. Actually, he was a waiter. He wasn't a chef. And and so my my dad for my fifth birthday he had these really old balsa wood surfboards under his house from when he used to surf like in the thirties, forties. So he had for my birthday, he had one of his old boards kind of reshaped down so I could learn how to surf on it. And so one of, one of his waiters, his name was Jeff Biban, really awesome guy. Uh, he, he was like, Hey, I'll take Shane surfing for the first time. So we went to this little place called Kahalu, which is in like the South of Kona town. And I remember I remember paddling out and I was already pretty good in the ocean. I was a good swimmer and I was already riding waves on a bodyboard. I remember this little white water wave came in and I turned around and I caught the wave, you know, fairly easily because the board was kind of bigger. And I remember getting to my feet and I remember just crouching down really low to the board. And it was the first time I'd ever stood up on a craft and rode the energy of a wave. And I, I'll never forget it because I, was looking down at the surface of the, the face of the wave and I put my fingers in the, the water. Oh. And it was like that feeling of like, imagine like you're snowboarding or doing something going fast and you put your hand down and you just feel that natural speed and energy that you're riding this like, I don't know, it was so different to me from any other type of riding a wave. And I was like hooked. I was immediately like, okay, hey, this is me. This is, this is who I am. That's so That's cool. cool that you have that memory from five yeah. years old. So, okay, you competed for a little while, but then you found, you know, when I first met you, you were winning a big wave award. So you found big wave surfing kind of early at a time where not everybody else was chasing big waves. Mm. Why did you decide to switch? So when I moved to the North Shore, if you rewind a little bit, 
when I moved to the North Shore at 15, I went from Kona, where I live, where the waves are small nearly all the time, to the North Shore in the wintertime for four years straight in high school, where I was surfing a lot of bigger waves and getting comfortable in much larger conditions. And, and your buddies were pushing each other, so yeah. you had to go. And I was living and surfing with guys who were really good at huge waves, and they really kind of took me under their wing and inspired me to start surfing really big waves. And so I was kind of into it at a pretty young age, like 16, 17, 18, I was riding really big waves. And then when I started on a tour, basically that takes up all your time. For 11 years, Shane competed in the World Surf League, becoming one of the best surfers on tour. He frequently placed in the top 10 and even won a number of events in Spain, France, and Brazil. He was sponsored by Billabong and had essentially made it as a pro surfer. But eventually, Shane knew it was time for a change. He was burnt out from competing for so long at such a high level. I was just really uninspired and I felt like I wasn't doing what I should be doing in life to feel like I was maximizing my potential and I hated that feeling. I was like, I love surfing, I shouldn't feel like this, you know? In 2003, Shane made the call to leave the tour and try something different. He started chasing big waves. In this new discipline, Shane was traveling around the world, frequently surfing waves as high as 60 feet. Surfing big waves brought him a different kind of rush than he got from competing, and he loved it. Over the next 10 years, Shane earned a reputation as one of the greatest big wave surfers of his generation, and he won a lot of awards along the way. What do you do before you go surf big waves? Like, what is your mentality? What do you say to yourself? Do you have any mantras? Do you have like a prep that you do? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is like breathing and like visualization to like kind of visualize how I want the session to go, how it will start and how I'll approach it and do like a lot of breath work, like breathing up to that and like making sure my heart rate stays kind of where I would need it to be. What does that look like, your breath work? Uh, It changes, but you know, like say I'm going out to Jaws and I'm and I'm like paddling out from the rocks. I do like a lot of like nose breathing and box breathing because it like will like lower your heart rate. And so you'll have less fear if your heart rate is low. Um, and, uh, and then like the science behind holding your breath, which is like that's how people die and surfing really big waves is they run out of their breath and then they drown. Like you drown because you can't hold your breath long enough and the, the, the ocean will not let you up in time, which is terrifying, you know. And so the way your breath works is if you have a super high heart rate it's like imagine having very little gas in your gas tank and just flooring it if you can keep your heart rate low then you can hold your breath much longer so that's kind of what it's all about for me so like not being surprised by anything kind of kind of like like visualizing all the things that can happen and and also visualizing like the wave i really want like for me i approach really big wave sessions and like i want to catch one wave and I'll visualize it over and over in my head. I'll visualize myself in the spot and what that wave looks like. So when I see the wave, I identify it right away. This is the one I want. This is the one I've been visualizing. And when you feel yourself in the spot, I visualize like putting my head down, not hesitating at all, and just fully, fully committing to it and having like a successful ride and, and building that confidence. And then when, when I do ride that wave that I've been looking for, and it's, it's one of those rides I'm going to remember for a very long time, I kick out of that wave in the channel throw some high fives to my buddies and watch them surf for the rest of the day. I take my suit off, take my leash off, put my boards away and I just relax. I don't go back out like looking for another one. It's just for me, the stakes are too high. So for me, it's more like I really want to 
get that wave I'm looking for, but not get too greedy. What do you do when you're held under a wave and you know, you're just waiting for it to let you up? What do you say to yourself? How do you relax your breath? Because to me, that's always the scariest part. I basically, I don't come up with something to think about in the moment. I think about what I'm going to think about way ahead of time. So I have a plan on what to think about when I eat shit and I'm underwater. And for me, that plan is to think about all the other times I've been held down, hundreds of times, thousands of times, and dozens of times where it seemed super heavy. And so I rely on those experiences. Like I've lived through this before. I know what this feels like. I'm getting pounded by a huge wave, just like all the other huge waves. And I'm going to come up just like all the other times. And people have lived through way gnarlier things than this. I'm not going to be the one to drown right now. And I, I got this. But, you know, two different times in my life, once I blacked out underwater because I, I couldn't hold my breath long enough. And the other time I really, I basically was blacking out as I resurfaced. Um, so there's, you know, there's a, there's a limit, right? Your brain like tells you it's okay. But just because your brain's telling you it's okay and just because you're telling yourself it's okay doesn't mean it's okay. Who picked you up when you were blacked out? So I was underwater. I fell in a wave, went over the falls. Um, and a woman named Sachi, she put a video up at some point of this wave that I caught and did put a timer under it, like from when I, when I hit the surface of the water and went underwater until I came up and it was like a, a minute and seven seconds or something. So I was underwater getting pounded by the wave and on underwater I hit the reef and then the, it was holding me down forever. And then I started swimming up and I was about 10 feet from the surface where the next wave broke. And so I'm underwater for that whole next wave as well. And it pushed me straight back down to the reef. And that was like really, really scary situation. But I, I, I ended up holding my breath long enough to barely resurface. And a guy named Frank, who's a photographer up there at Mavericks, um, he was there, but I was like blue. I lost all my color. I had a really horrible concussion. That was a really bad experience. But for, for me, it was more like having, having that thought ready to go that I've survived a lot of heavy situations and that gives me the confidence. What about big waves lures you in? I just feel like the, the, the attraction to big waves for me is just a personal challenge. Like, it's funny, I, I'm, I'm definitely not the type of person who gets off on being close to death. Like, I'm not like, I wanna ride big waves because I can almost die over and over. It's more, for me, it's more like, this is something I feel like I'm really good at I've been doing for a super long time. I've ridden hundreds of thousands of waves, if not millions. And I have like stockpiled this amazing database of memories and experiences in my brain. And they all kind of accumulate into skill and expertise in this one area. And I wanted to like push that to like the ultimate level. And, and I've, and I also like, I love the challenge of trying to stay level-headed in really intense high pressure situations. I've always loved that. I have always loved trying to like overcome fear and see like what I'm made of in heavy moments. I want to dig into that. Like how, how do you deal with fear? Cause for, for many people, I mean, I'm sure even at one point for you, it's, it's terrifying. It can be. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I've probably, I probably kind of had like a personal process of dealing, dealing with fear from a really young age. I kind of like, I wasn't like, I, I didn't like being scared. I liked overcoming my fear. Mm. Does that make sense? Like, yep. So for me, it was like a, I didn't think of a scary situation as being fearful. I thought of a scary situation as like an opportunity to overcome the fear. 
And so I would like look at heavy situations and be like, hey, how, how, can I, how can I deal with this fear? How can I deal with these emotions that are like really natural? How can I, you know, like really kind of lean back on my expertise and my experience and kind of get through this moment? Do you feel like when you conquered your fear in the water, you could then take that courage that you gained from that and it translated completely to the rest of your life? 100%. When we come back, Shane talks about surfing with his kids and what he's learned from chasing big waves. Shane Dorian has been surfing since he was five years old, and his relationship with the sport has changed over the course of his career. In his early years, Shane was competing on the global circuit. Then he became a big wave surfer. Now he's focused on life as a dad and mentoring the new generation of surfers. With a career that spans more than three decades, Shane has definitely had his share of fun and funny moments in the water. Do you have any big wave stories you like to tell? Well, I have multiple, but one, one that's actually pretty funny. I was surfing Chopo in Tahiti. And the waves were really big. It was a scary session. I remember this heavy wave came to me and I ate it. And as soon as I hit the water on impact, my trunks blew open. Like my drawstrings went pop and <laughs> blew open and they were gone. My trunks are gone. And they were on my leash. So I came up, just like buns hanging out. And then I was in the impact zone still. And I took like three or four waves on the head. And the way Chopo is, there's like a big lagoon. And if you go into that lagoon, you got to go all the way around. It's like a 20 or 30 minute mission. So I was like scrambling to get back through the little keyhole before getting pulled in too far. So I didn't have time to like mess around with my trunks on my leash. So I just got up a back on my board and started paddling as hard as I possibly could. And I was like duck diving through the impact zone. And I made it back out like just barely. And all these boats were right there, like photography boats. And I was like basically naked paddling back out and like all my friends are just cracking up at me and my, I finally got my trunks off my leash, but I think they just thought maybe I was being a bit of an exhibitionist, but. Love it. It's great. <laughs> okay. So you're a dad now to like a kid that I've seen on Instagram and you have a daughter. Do they both surf? Does she surf too? She surfs too. So my daughter's 13. Her name is Charlie. She's, uh, she's a, she likes to surf, but she's not definitely not hardcore in any way. She's like a social surfer. And then my dad, my, my son's the opposite. He's like, he's already a pro surfer and he's like really hardcore and like wants to surf eight hours a day. And he's, you know, he's like a full surf rat kid. It's like his hundred percent focus on surfing. So yeah, it's fun. I, I'm really grateful to have kids that like the ocean and like the outdoors, like to surf. So what do people ask you still about when it comes to like parenting and mentoring kids? Because I know you must get hit up a lot. You know, it's funny because my wife and I have put on a kid surfing event in Kona called the, the Keiki Classic. And it's a kid's event. So all these parents show up with their kids. And then I've been around a ton of kids in the surfing world for a long time, like as a kid first. And then like now, like kind of mentoring kids like on the Billabong program and doing a lot of like development camps with them. So I'm around like a lot of like kind of crazy soccer dads and moms that are like nuts. Like the second their kid can do a cutback, they want to take them out of school and put them in homeschool and get them a coach. And they're all like dead serious about the pro surfing thing. And 
which is cool. Like that enthusiasm is really cool, but like some parents are so overboard so quick and that is crazy. And like the amount of pressure some of these kids get from these parents getting all serious right away is nuts. Like they always ask me like, Hey, how can I get my kid to get better faster? Like, can you suggest a coach, like a psychological coach or, you know, competition coach, or can you do some trips with my kids and help them get better? And like, uh, it's neat in a way, but like I, most of the time I'm talking them off the ledge as a parent, I'm like, Hey, like you need to step back and relax. Like be grateful. Your kid is passionate. Be grateful. Your kid loves the ocean. Be grateful. Your kid's not sitting in front of video games all day. Like that's like 99% of what you should be worried about. The 1% of like, how would I get my kid better? Should be like 1%. Like, of course, like support their goals, but remember it's their goal. It's not your goal. Like even for me and my kid, like my, my, my son's an, a, a full on pro surfer now, And I tell him all the time, I'm like, dude, this is your goal. It is not my goal. It's not my goal to like relive this whole pro surfing thing. Like I'm on the other side of it now where like it's like the very end. I'm looking forward to like totally different chapter in my life. I don't need to do this. Like this has to be your goal. So if this is what you want, you need to act like it. You need to live like it, you know? And so that's probably the biggest thing that I tell parents all the time is like, like your kid's 12. Your kid's 13, your kid's 16. Like, it's not that serious that he won or lost a contest or she won or lost a contest. Like, none of this matters. It's just fun learning experiences, developing kids to become great humans as they age. That's all you got to worry about. And if in the end they end up being like a really talented pro surfer, then great and support that along the way. But it's probably the biggest thing is just like, hey, step back and like, don't lose sight of what's really, truly important here. I think you you hit the nail on the head though and you said, the, the thing is to have purpose. Like if a kid has purpose and direction, that's huge. And not all kids are going to be super passionate about something. I think, you know, as I think you should be grateful if your kids have a passion really early, but like, it's not necessary, you know, but it's nice to like, though, have something to point a compass to at, at any sure. age. Yeah. I'm incredibly grateful that, that for one, my son is really passionate about surfing because like, just before this, we were in like Mexico together and we've been going to this place in Mexico for since he was eight and now he's 16. And um, I had my GoPro and and I rode waves behind him and the waves are really good. And we were, we were riding these waves that were like 300 yards long. And so I'm literally talking to him, having full conversations where I'm like three feet behind him and he's ripping, like surfing really well. And like just being able to share those experiences and do surf trips Like I tell him all the time, I'm like, dude, like even if this pro surfing thing doesn't work out, like think of like, this is like, I'll remember this the rest of my life. We both will like, like doing surf trips and spending time together. It doesn't matter if you become a pro surfer or not. I mean, it does in a way, but it doesn't really matter. Like my favorite thing to do in surfing now, honestly, is riding the same wave as my kids. So like riding behind my daughter surfing on a wave is like the best thing ever and hear her giggling and talking to her on the wave which I don't get to do very much because he doesn't surf as much as I, I wish she did because I would love to have those experiences more with her. But to have those, those moments where you're having a conversation with your kid on the wave and then like walking back up the sand point together, talking about like life or whatever, and then riding waves again is just, that's, what, that's like the pinnacle for me, for sure. What is surfing for you today? I'm curious. It's been a career. It's been so many things for you. It has. 
I've, I've sort of had a lot of sort of different chapters in surfing. And now surfing in my life is, is very similar to how surfing was in my life when I first started. Mm. So like when I, when I was a kid and first really fell in love with surfing, there was kind of like a lot of turmoil in my household. Uh, my parents weren't getting along. I was a lot of stress in the house. And like, so surfing for me was my escape. It was like my way to stay sane. It was my, it was like my, my way to kind of get away from my problems in my life. Like school was really hard on me. I was kind of a bad student. And I was just really uninterested in school. And so like, I would just stare at the clock until it was over, like the pain was over. And then as soon as I was out, I would like try to go surfing, you know, and I try to surf as much as I possibly could. And just cause I felt like it, it like brought me sanity as a kid. And, uh, and now it's kind of the same. Like, I, I feel like it's such a great escape for me for, you know, if I'm stressed out or I'm like, I'm angry about something or whatever it is, like. All I got to do is grab my surf trunks and jump in the ocean and like everything's better. I don't even need to ride a wave. I can watch the sunset or the sunrise or just talk to a buddy in the water. Like it's so good for your soul. And I've never really found anything that I found a lot of really cool things that I love in my life. But surfing is like really unlike any of them. You've had an incredible career and experiences that most people on earth will never get to experience because you've pushed yourself. I'm curious. It's like, humility just something you were brought up with or is it something that you get from living in Hawaii or is it something that comes from surfing giant waves oh wow that's it those are really good questions I never really thought about it that way um yeah I mean I grew up kind of like I don't know how to say that but I grew up with not a whole lot of advantages I guess um and then I just found and fell in love with surfing and that was kind of kind of like set the direction for my childhood and I was super passionate about that as a kid. And, and then I was competitive in that. And the competition scene in surfing <laughs> keeps you super humble because it's like highly competitive. And I definitely wasn't the best competitor. And then I moved on to, you know, just I, th I think the competitive aspect is definitely like very humbling because you very, you know, out of a in a surf competition or any competition for that matter, there's only one winner in an individual sport. What has big wave surfing taught you? about life that you apply to your kind of everyday philosophy and, and, and you'll never, you'll never let go. This is just part of who you are now. I mean, that's probably, a, that's a really, that's a hard, it's a hard answer to give, but it's an easy answer to come up with. And that's just like appreciating life, like gratitude. Yeah. Um, had really like close calls, almost died a couple of times. Those aren't the funnest to talk about. I lost a couple of really close friends to surfing really big waves when I was in the water with them, you know, like when you're, a, when you're a big wave surfer, you really have like totally different than being a normal surfer. Like there's like a camaraderie level that is totally different when the stakes are that high, you know, when people are dying around you doing what they love to do and you're a part of that, or they have really close calls and you're helping them get into medevacs and helicopters and, you know, help, like helping bring them back when they're blue and they're not breathing. There's a lot of those type situations over the years, you know, and it's like, it's really neat because it kind of develops like um, a family amongst big wave riders. When you have that in common, you have all these experiences together. It's really neat. So that's probably my, one of my favorite things about riding big waves is kind of like, like when I see people that I serve Jaws with and Mavericks with and have these like really intense experiences with like there's something that connects you on a on a deeper level that's pretty magical 
and to like live through that, you just realize how fragile life is and how it's not guaranteed. And all of us, not just like I'm a whatever big wave guy, but that doesn't mean that like I'm in unique in any way. Like all of us have friends that have died from cancer, this shit you can't control in your, th- in their thirties or forties or twenties, way too young. And so like, that's the lesson for me is like really appreciate life. And like, it's amazing. Um, you know, I, friends who passed away that would give anything for another year, another month. So when I always trip out when people are like, man, getting old sucks. I'm, can you believe we're getting old? I'm like, I'm so grateful to be getting old. Like, I hope, I hope I get old as freaking dirt. Like, I'm so grateful. I'm having the best time ever, have an amazing family. And I'm like really, truly enjoying life. And, and I think that's like the big lesson is like, don't take it for granted, you know? I've personally enjoyed watching Shane throughout his career as a surfer. I love his perspective on aging. It's a privilege to get older and we have to take care of our bodies so we can keep doing the things we love. If you want to see some of Shane's latest surf adventures, check out his Instagram at Shane Dorian. That's S-H-A-N-E-D-O-R-I-A-N. We interviewed Shane at the Revel Shine Wine event in Laguna Beach, which was an absolute blast. Huge shout out to Revel Shine Wines for the invitation. A special thank you also to SCP Hotels for providing incredible accommodations for our team in Laguna Beach. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, produced by Annie Fassler, Sylvia Thomas, and Sam Piers-Nitzberg of Puddle Creative, and our senior producer is Jenny Barber. Our executive producers are Paolo Motola and Joe Crosby. As always, we love it when you follow this show, rate it, and take time to write a review wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas. Hey everyone, I'm excited to share that Hello Nature, another podcast from REI Co-op Studios, is back for season two. In season one, host Misha Youssef traveled across the country to share the unknown stories of America's national parks. In season two, Misha is back on the road, and this time she's exploring the nature that's right out our front doors. She's visiting cities across the country, from LA to Atlanta and Portland to New York City, hitting the trails, camping out at local preserves, and running alongside local change makers to answer these questions. What makes these cities unique? Who is doing the work to redefine how we get outside? And how can we get involved? If you're looking for a podcast to inspire you to chase adventure in your own backyard, this is it. Make sure you tune in to Hello Nature Season 2 wherever you listen to podcasts.